Herzlich willkommen beim Hu-Podcast, musikalischer Dialog mit improvisierenden Jazzsängern von Jasmina Zack. In diesem Podcast haben wir die Ehre, mit Judy Niemack, der ersten Jazzgesangsprofessorin Deutschlands, zu sprechen. Judy ist in Pasadena, Kalifornien geboren und Professorin am Jazzinstitut Berlin seit 25 Jahren. Sie hat einen reichen Erfahrungsschatz als Jazzsängerin auf internationalen Bühnen an der Seite von Größen wie Lee Konitz, Joe Lovano, Kenny Barron, Fred Hirsch, David Friedman, Eddie Gomez und noch vielen anderen, sowie Bands wie der WDR Big Band Köln, der HR Big Band, der Rias Big Band Berlin, Jim McNeely und der dänischen Radio Big Band, um nur einige zu nennen. Dieses Gespräch stellt ein besonderes dar, denn Judy wird, was ihre unterrichtende Tätigkeit am JIP betrifft, bald in den Ruhestand gehen. Das folgende Musikbeispiel zeigt Judy an der Seite von Joe Lovano, Fred Hirsch, Scott Colley und Billy Hart. Till the line was dead Then I reached for a cigarette And went out my head I only wanted you near You know the memories are sweet so clear Can you tell that my heart is torn When you drink to my tears My mind is on fire And you can't feel my desire And my soul is a flame It burns you each time But the game I should have told you goodbye My mouth is open but no words inside I was hoping you'd change your mind When you did I cried To know that you would keep me all alone with my dreams
Liebe Judy, herzlich willkommen. Vielen Dank. Ich bin froh, hier zu sein. Wir haben jetzt ähm, eine Komponente des sehr, sehr schnellen Tempos gehört. Wie schafft man das denn, so ein Tempo zu meistern in der Diktion? So that was an example of fast lyric singing, of course. And if you want to talk about it, I will, I will talk about that. Yes, please. It is a matter of technique of being able to be relaxed at fast tempos. So really you need to feel every measure rather than every beat and to kind of fly over the top of the music rather than getting stuck at the actual level of the beats. So when you're working on a, on a, a song that requires fast singing, you need to actually start very slow so that your brain and your mouth and your larynx and everything else gets accustomed to the feeling and, and simply move it up step by step with a metronome, beat by beat. Also denken in großen ähm, Zusammenhängen, nicht zu so sehr in Takten oder in äh, Puls. Well, thinking in, in Takten, yeah, but not in, not in beats. Wir hören uns dann auch mal eine andere Version an, dann mit Big Band. Genau. Und das ist ein, ein Text von mir, ein Lyric, that I wrote. Actually, it's, it's my first Lyric. That's why the original song is called Daoud by Clifford Brown. And I fell in love with that song when I was a young singer in New York and I got tired of singing Shadoobadoobadoobab and decided to write a lyric and I had just had kind of a heartbreak. So the lyric was all about moving on and looking back. I should have told you goodbye, but I knew that the connection was dead. So I thought about what you said and went out of my head. I only wanted you near, cause the memory of our love is so clear. But don't you know that my heart is torn, won't you drink to my tears? And my mind is on fire, cause you are my desire. And my soul is aflame, tell me is love only a game? I should have told you goodbye, but it's all the truth that love can be blind. Well, I was hoping you'd change your ways, I was sure you'd be kind.
So this version is written by the maybe the greatest living uh, big band arranger and teacher of arranging, the teacher of people like Maria Schneider and Ed Partika and many of the big band arrangers that we now know so well. And his name is Jim McNeely. He taught in New York for many years. He's just retiring now at the age of, I think, 70. And moving moving up to uh, Maine to enjoy being on the on the sea, but um, he's been leading the HR big band for the last three four years, and he directed the Danish radio orchestra for many years. I don't know ten years or so, winning a Grammy. So anyway, a, an important guy, and he was the one to bring me to the WDR big band back in 1993. 
And we took a project to them of bebop songs. So this is one of the arrangements that he wrote back then, which we brought to Denmark and re-recorded. You can hear it's a bit slower than the other version and um, gives me time to express the words a little more. And then in in between the soloists, uh, Jim wrote these fabulous scat um, solos, which are uh, contrafacts, actually. And he die sind die sind ausgeschrieben. Die sind schon vorkomponiert sozusagen. Obviously, because the whole band mm. is playing it with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Muss man ja fragen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. We didn't all improvise the same thing at the same time. <laughs> But then you hear me with a solo with a bass player. And that comes a little bit later. Right. But yeah, some pe sometimes people don't know if you're improvising or not. And they, then you are, and they think that you wrote it out, you know. <laughs> But anyway, so this has an example of some pretty virtuosic high register stuff and, and you know, crazy intervals that he wrote, which was really fun with a lot of rhythmic uh, displacement. So taking an idea and, changing where the accent is so that you feel the phrase differently than where it actually is in relation to the 4-4 time signature. And then in my solo, I'm actually using techniques that I naturally use. I don't think of them as techniques. They're just part of my musical vocabulary, which is development of motifs. And that is something that is a basic part of all Western music. And, or I should say, not all, but much, much of classical music, much of composed music has this element of taking a small cell and developing it. And I like to do that. It's, it's fun. It gives your solo some direction and it's, uh, a beautiful craft to learn, which I learned studying improvisation with um, Warren Marsh. Du hast ja zunächst klassischen Gesang studiert. Wie bist du denn zur Improvisation und zum Jazz gekommen? Oh, I started with jazz. Classical was much later. So I started at the age of 17 with jazz. Actually, the same time I started my vocal studies. I was singing from the time I was a little girl, everything. I had a jazz gig by 17 in, in, the, in my hometown with a guitarist like three nights a week. But I wanted to do everything with my voice. I wanted to be able to sing super high and in tune and be able to sing when I'm 65, which I am, <laughs> and not lose my voice. So I, I just wanted to learn technique. And therefore... I wanted to be able to sing all those Lenny Tristano lines and sing like a saxophone player. So I went to study with Primolino Puccinelli, my singing teacher. And uh, that was concurrent with my studies with um, Warren about improvisation. He was not a technique teacher for voice. Of course, he was just a saxophone player, a great sax player. But my, my technique was coming from this uh, classical teacher who then encouraged me to explore opera, which, hey, I love all music. I loved singing classical. It's all, you know, it's all material. <laughs> it's all music. So I decided to go to New England Conservatory. and In, in Boston, richtig? Exactly. Yeah. It's the mm -hmm. oldest conservatory in America. And that's how I chose it. I thought, well, if I'm going to sing opera... I better go to the oldest and most respected conservatory. And they sent people out around the country to scout, to look for students, talented students. And they came to my town and I auditioned and I was accepted. So I moved back there, but I was singing jazz at the same time. And I was <laughs> taken to the head of the vocal department's office when they heard I was singing out in the clubs. And he gave me such a lecture. He said, you're going to lose your voice. You won't be singing past the age of 30 if you sing that jazz. <laughs> so I said, oh, gee, I'm okay. And then I just secretly kept on doing it. <laughs> But anyway, it was a time of, of, of in input 
And classical music was a beautiful part of that. So I only stayed there for two years, but I realized that um, it, opera wasn't offering me enough room for creativity, and therefore I returned to study more seriously improvisation. Hast du dich dann auch komplett von der Klassik abgewandt oder war das immer so ein bisschen da auch? You can't really do both, and particularly in those days. So I, I just gave it up, which was kind of sad. I mean, I, of course, I, I still use the exercises, and this is part of what has inspired me to write all these books that I've written. For example, the, the latest one, I, I use many uh, classical exercise books, um, Etudes and Vakai and Marchesi. Uh, bel canto in order to keep the voice in shape and i decided that what was missing was that kind of exercise for jazz and pop singers and that's what led to the first book hear it and sing it auf jeden fall ähm, wir haben so ein bisschen gesprochen ne, ähm, über marsch äh, von welchen mentoren und kollegen konntest und kannst du am meisten im hinblick auf improvisation mitnehmen also du hast ja jetzt auch schon gesagt, du hast mit den Saxophonisten improvisieren gelernt. Ähm, warum nicht mit einem Sänger? Oh, there were no singers teaching. Nobody. This was 1972. There was no vocal jazz at the university level in any country. And there was no, nobody teaching it. Nobody was doing it except Ella and she wasn't going to tell anybody anything. This was long before people shared with each other. And particularly in, at that level, they were all divas and they kept their secrets very carefully, you know. Und wann hat sich das geändert? Also erst später mit euch sozusagen? I think it, it changed with Sheila Jordan's generation and Sheila is now 90. So Sheila was really, the, but she didn't have the methodical way of knowing what she was doing. She, but she willingly shared what she did with people and her love for singing. She was teaching at City College in New York. And when I moved there in the late seventies and, um, I used to substitute for her and she would mostly work with students on feeling the song, new repertoire, uh, learning Charlie Parker. You know, it was all about learning Charlie Parker solos, which is a great exercise. She also studied with Lenny Tristano for a while, who was the teacher of Warren Marsh, my teacher. So we kind of came from the same school, so to speak, of improvisation, but there was nobody teaching it. So I would say that the generation of Sheila and Mark and... Um, The other one who taught in Graz, uh, I'll come up with Andy Bay. And Jay Clayton was the next generation. And then my generation, which has a, a whole bunch of people, including Michelle Weir and, well, Darman's the next generation. So anyway, it started to become um, written down and understood in my time. And I was at the college in Pasadena before I went to New England, I I was the only singer ever to have taken an improvisation class. So it was also new. The teacher was uh, Gary Foster, fantastic alto player who played with Barbara Streisand for many years. And uh, he treated me like a horn player, which was what I wanted. And, and the first thing was sing the roots. And, you know, and then I started studying with Warren and I got all of uh, many, many ideas. Uh, the Tristano School, which Warren was part of, has a very particular way of teaching jazz improv. And it is much based on visualizing. So you, you hear it in your head. Ja, super. Gibt es dazu auch Bücher oder irgendwelche ähm, Oh, there's plenty of stuff, downloads. There's plenty of downloads. Okay, gibt man yeah. einfach äh, Tristano School I, ein, yeah, I just downloaded something actually from Scribed, Scribed. It's called Jedi Mind Tricks. Lenny Tristano and Techniques for Imaginative Musical Practice. And I, I downloaded that because I'm teaching a Lenny Tristano combo starting on Monday. 
at the Jazz Institute, and I want to be able to explain to them how I learned improv. I learned not only from the Jamie Abersall method, which is the first published method, and fantastic method. Für, für die Hörer werde ich das ganz kurz erklären. Die Abersold-Methode ähm, besteht ja aus Noten. Also man hat ein Leadsheet und das hat er in verschiedenen äh, Lagen auch veröffentlicht. Also ein C und S und B-Noten gibt es da für die Bläser. Und ähm, genau dazu gibt es halt die Noten und die Playbacks, Playalongs. Exactly, but the most important thing is the books about how to improvise. And he was the first guy to teach it. He put it all down, what all of us have been doing, using Grundtöne, using the roots, using the thirds, using the one, two, three, using the one, three, five, seven, chord tones, solos. Jamie Abersold had it all available since the, the early 70s, maybe even late 60s. So he's really the father of all of this. He's the first one to write it down. It's, it gives you licks, it gives you patterns, it gives you all, all you need to understand intellectually. But the Tristano method really taps into your own creativity and your own uh, originality. Also ich erinnere mich auch an, an Bob Stoloff. Bob Stoloff ähm, ist ja auch mehr oder weniger propagierend für eine Sprache oder Silben, was ich als Scat-Idiom… Right, he wrote that ähm, first book. Es, es Scat heißt es und dann hat er auch noch eine Reihe anderer Bücher äh, rausgebracht und ähm, dort wird ein syllabisches Vokabular zum Improvisieren benutzt, was ich so in meiner Generation als traditionell kennengelernt habe. Mhm. Du gibst ja auch solche Silben in deinen Büchern an oder schlägst die vor. Wie sollte man da jetzt umgehen als improvisierender Jazzinger? Sollte man damit anfangen oder sollte man selber einfach kreativ seine Sprache entwickeln? Oh, well, I mean... I have so many different students, you know. I was in Helsinki two days ago <laughs> teaching students, and I teach all over the world. So it's it's a bit different in each country. We had this discussion. For example, in Spain, it's quite traditional. I was teaching in Musikena in the Basque country for 13 years. I started a program, and they wanted everyone to learn all the bebop lines and be able to sing a hundred standards. And, you know, I think each person finally has to follow what they're attracted to. You know, in, in a school, you, you're, you will learn standards. And as Germans, they're not your natural music. You know, it's nothing, it's not your music. It's our music from America. So that's, that's a little bit the limitation of it. And here in Berlin, The main goal is to find your own thing, find your own way, write your own songs. And so that's a beautiful thing too, you know, and I love that. However, the students, they, they end up liking the standards and they learn them. And I, I, I believe that it's important because they offer you many different harmonic patterns that are part of composing. And if you can learn 40 standards inside out, it will, it will develop your ear to hear more than, than pop chord changes. And that's the beauty of, of the, the Great American Songbook, which, as you know, came from musical theater in the 1930s and 40s and a bit into the 50s. So it's a musical formula and harmonic structure that's important for the development of Of your own compositions. Ja, die vielen äh, Jazz-Hochschulen, die es ja mittlerweile in Deutschland gibt und in Europa ja auch, die gehen ja auch davon aus, dass ein Student erst einmal seine 120 Jazz-Standards lernen muss mit den 251-Verbindungen und dass man dann in der Lage sein sollte, seine eigenen Sachen äh, zu komponieren und zu spielen. Jetzt äh, ist da viel Magisches um die 251-Verbindung. Wie kann man die denn üben? Was kann man denn damit machen, damit man schön improvisieren kann über die Standards und die unterschiedlichen Stile? Hast du da so Patentrezepte oder ähm, 
ja, wie, wie geht man da heran? Erstmal als Anfänger. Hast du da so eine Routine? Yes, yes, of course. And like I said, it's in the books, <laughs> which are hear it and sing it, um, exploring modal jazz and exploring the blues. And what I teach is exactly how I learned. And I would take this method with any song, a classical song, a pop song, Stevie Wonder, uh, Harold Garland, George Gershwin, doesn't matter. It's a method for learning by ear. So first, you have to be able to sing the, the bass line, so the, the roots, and by memory, without accompaniment, in tempo, keeping the pitch. It's just developing all of these parts of the brain and the, and the voice. So you learn to sing the, the roots of the chords as a, I should, I should have started with the melody. First, you have to be able to sing the melody. <laughs> exactly as written and not and know it and not just learn it from Ricky Lee Jones or whoever or Sarah Vaughn or whatever and you need to go to the original source because somebody composed it and they're great composers and they're worth learning because there's a meaning and there's information in the way those melodies are written there's a reason that the note goes up here and down there so anyway learning the melody, then learning the roots, then by ear, and recording yourself doing that, then add the, add the thirds. Because the third of the chord is the one that's going to give you the color and tell you where you're going. So learning to then sing root and third in tempo on each chord. Then one, two, three on each chord. So for example, if we were doing a, what can I take? All of me, maybe. All of me would be, all of me. Why not take all of me? Can't you see? I'm no good without you. And then you'd learn that, and then you'd learn the roots. Doom, 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 doom. And then you would learn the roots and thirds. Da pi da, 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 da pi da. And then you would learn one, two, three. Da pu da, da pu da, da pu da, etc. So, and then the then the. Chord tones, da ba do be, da ba do be, da ba do be, and then you would improvise with the chord tones, da dee da dee da dee da da dee da be do dee 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 do be ba be ba 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 do de do do ba do de de da. That wasn't the chords. I got a little carried away. So this is just the basic internalizing of chord progressions. And then you do an endless scale. So you start at the bottom of your register and just keep going. You don't go back to the bottom. So you would be like da ba 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 boo boo bee boo bee boo 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 bee do 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 Etc. So you teach yourself. Auf und abwärts sozusagen. Genau. If you can't hear quite what the note is, you give yourself a minute. Usually this is done playing the chords with yourself on the piano. And of course, a song like All of Me is pretty simple, but when you get into things like Bill Evans very early or Miles Davis Blue and Green or some of the more or Coltrane songs, it's a little bit more challenging to internalize. Was würdest du da vorschlagen? Also wenn man jetzt weiß, wie alle Skalen gehen, weiß, wie die Grundtöne sind, die ähm, Akkorde singen kann. It's ähm. never ending. Okay. <lacht> I, I know a thousand standards and I still am learning. So, I mean, what, it's just a method for whatever song you might be learning. Um, but what one of the things I do with my students is composing. So I, I did this with... Um, my teacher, and it was part of the Tristano method, which is 
writing the solo you wish you could do. You know, write, write a solo that you love over the, over the tune, not necessarily a contrafact, which is, that's a composed solo, but it usually has some structure, more like a new melody, right? But write a solo. And I used to do this, I would stay three months on one song and write a, one solo per week. So then you have 12 solos. And, you know, by that time, you've gone through all of your ideas and you get bored and you have to find new things and just becoming, bringing it to consciousness will help you to become acquainted with your own musical mind and what you're hearing. And you can record yourself. You can, it's really like self-reflection, you know, and learning how to compose, but within a chordal structure. So it's not so you know, overwhelming to make melodies. That's an advanced practice. Also komponieren, sich selbst reflektieren und dann schauen, was einem fehlt noch. Vielleicht auch vergleichen mit anderen Soli, die es schon mm. gibt. Exactly. And at the same time, you should be transcribing solos. So you pick two or three solos by other people that you like. Like I say, when I learned it, I was not learning it in college. I was the first one teaching it in college. So it's, I learned everything because I wanted to. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to learn that Charlie Parker solo because I loved it. The difference is when somebody tells you you have to learn 120 songs, it's, it changes it a bit. But luckily for me at the Jazz Institute, everybody's totally passionate about learning and they just they want to learn 100 songs, no problem. Was hältst du davon, wenn wir uns dein äh, Epistrophe mal anhören? Ja. Yeah. Thelonious Monk. Good idea. I love Thelonious Monk. Thank you. 
Mit Dan Töpfer am Klavier. Yeah, Dan is quite a force of music. You know, he really came from, he was born in Paris. His parents um, were Americans, but living in Paris. And then he came to New York. He got his degree in physics, just playing piano, you know, <laughs> as a, a side subject. But yeah, he's, he's amazing. So creative, but not at all traditional. Es, es klingt sehr kreativ. Ihr habt eine sehr intensive Interaktion. That's it. That's what I love about Dan. It's all about, there's no, uh, neither of us have to hear the traditional bass lines or anything, so we can just go on and explore together. Von dir wurde gerade etwas freier vorgetragen, a cappella, ein Teil des Herdthemas? Yeah, that was an improvisation based on the melody. Mhm. Mhm. Dann bist du äh, rhythmischer, etwas, ähm, ja, hast du den Puls festgelegt und Dan ist am Klavier dazugekommen und es ging in eine Improvisation deinerseits mit der Begleitung von Dan, sehr kreativer Begleitung, die dann in sein Solo gemündet ist. Und dann ähm, kamst du wieder dazu improvisierend und es gab einen etwas ruhigeren Mittelteil, Aha. war ganz kurz. Right. Um, of course, that's that's the bridge of the song, where where we let it fly, we let it relax into a very open space, and then went back to this kind of boogie woogie feel <laughs> created by him, which is pretty funny. I mean, Thelonious Monk is such an amazing composer because his music can be recreated with so many different rhythms, rhythmic treatments. You know, reggae, a funk. Uh, you know, odd meter, and, and so this was a boogie woogie epistrophe. Ja, wie kann man denn daran herangehen? Also es gibt so viele Möglichkeiten, klar, natürlich. Das ist jetzt auch nicht so wahnsinnig traditionell 2-5-1 harmonisch. No, right, that's true. It's very chromatic, this piece. It goes up and down chromatically with dominant chords, and the melody also is very chromatic, which is why I started the intro that way, just 
you know, with a bit of quoting from others, another song called Hot House by uh, Tad Damron. That's another part of jazz. We, we were going to talk a bit about jazz language and what it is and how it's defined. I mean, you know, jazz music was not taught at the university level when it was being developed by people like Charlie Parker and Miles Davis. Miles went to Juilliard to study classical trumpet and quit, you know, just learned everything on the streets. But um, it's been, in order to teach it at the university level and to make some sort of program where you can say, yes, the student now deserves a diploma, <laughs> you have to kind of name it. And so part of, part of the tradition was um, quoting other songs in bringing little pieces of melodies of, of different songs into one's scat. And that's a really fun thing to do. And it makes reference to the jazz language. So that's part of the jazz language. Another part of jazz language is bebop, which is really what most people learn in order to sound like they're improvising in a jazz style. So it has to do with the rhythmic feel, learning how to swing, which is a kind of um, difficult thing to describe in words, but working on swing rhythm and working on patterns that come from the music of people like Louis Armstrong up to Lester Young, up to Fats Navarro, and then moving on to Sonny Rollins and Dexter Gordon, many horn players, right? Clifford Brown, uh, and and Ella was in the middle of that. Ella and Sarah Vaughan were the first ones really known for their scat singing. So Ella was learning from Dizzy Gillespie, who was like known as the inventor of bebop along with Charlie Parker. And she was memorizing his solos and memorizing his tunes, and, and he was teaching her stuff. And that's how the language developed, basically by ear in those days. But what we learn today and call the jazz language is based in that music of the 40s and 50s. It's part of your, you know, what you can use, your colors as a painter, you know. Why not? Learn it. Doesn't mean you have to do it. It's just like one more thing to know. Ja, ja. das bezieht sich auf ähm, motivische Arbeit bzw. Leaks. Right. I mean, like I said before, that's a big part of the Abersol method. And a lot of sax players do that because they have muscle memory. So they can learn it by their fingers or piano players. And they have to learn how to finger it and do it in all the keys. And then it becomes like a physical thing that they that comes out when they're um, hearing that chord, right? But for singers, it's different. So I'm less interested in licks. That's perhaps due to my... Uh, background studying with Warren Marsh, being part of the Lenny Tristano school, where it was just more about being a great melodist, being able to create beautiful original melodies in the moment. And, you know, so that, I mean, the bebop licks are, for me, they're, they classify you in a certain box. And it's great. I love bebop. I can do it. But I don't always want to do that. So I want to have my own language. I don't want to sound like Ella. That's fine. Okay. She sounded mm. like Ella. <laughs> wie war denn das? Um, wie, wie hast du denn Warren kennengelernt? Und wie, wie, wie hat sich das ergeben? Du hast wahrscheinlich danach gesucht und dann... Well, I had a boyfriend in high school and he was a sax player and he was studying with Warren. So Warren lived in my little town of Pasadena in Southern California where I was growing up, and he was teaching about 10 students on all different instruments. And he was cleaning swimming pools. That was his other job. So he was just practicing all day. One of the main things about him and about this um, ideal of learning and creating that started with Lenny is that being an artist is more important than making money. So for him, he chose to clean swimming pools and give lessons so that he wouldn't have to go play 
jingles in the studio or whatever, or play some weddings or play some gala gigs. He just wanted to pursue music in his own way, in his own creativity. And that was incredibly inspiring to me. He, again, had never had a singing student, and he took me on like I was a horn player and had me learn Lester Young, Charlie Parker, many, many solos and improvising with only the metronome because I didn't have a piano anyway. So I was just had a pitch pipe and my metronome, and I had to imagine all the intervals and all the chord progressions. So for me, learning them that way was a necessity, actually, to learn them by by memory and by rote, but it made me very, very independent to the point where I could do something like that epistrophe improv with no problem because I know the song in every fiber of my body. So yeah, that's how that happened. I just got fascinated with improv and inspired by this incredible man who coincidentally appeared in my life. After a few years, I had gone to study opera and come back. And then he said, Judy, I'm moving to New York and you should too. This was in 1977. He said, you're not going to be a jazz singer in Pasadena, California. You have to go to New York City. And I was like, okay. And I packed up my stuff with a friend and drove across the country. And and we ran out of money halfway. And uh, this was a different friend. And we ended up, I was, I was waiting on tables, playing guitar and singing bluegrass in a restaurant in order to make the rest of my money to get to New York. And we finally made it. And I was, you know, doing that, just whatever I could do for, I guess, about four years before I could finally make a living as a singer. But anyway, it was a tough time, but my first major concert gig was to perform with Warren at this very famous club called the Village Vanguard, which is a basement club in in lower Manhattan. And we had a whole week there, and we were performing these Lenny Tristano contrafacts. At that point, I didn't really care that much about the lyrics. I just wanted to improvise, be as good as, as a horn player, you know. So I was singing the what we called them lines then. Nobody knew the word contrafact. So I was singing the lines and and being like a trumpet in the band. Ähm, würdest du denn heutzutage auch Sängern, die improvisieren, ähm, raten oder allgemein Sängern raten, die Musik über alles zu stellen und nicht unbedingt dem Kommerz hinterher zu rennen, weil überleben muss man ja trotzdem irgendwie, vor allem wenn man improvisiert. Well, I After I studied with him, I had a um, I had to make a living, and I was in New York City, and I didn't want to keep waitressing, so I began singing. Um, what do you call Mücke in German? Mücken, yeah, Mücken, and um, I became really good at it, and I learned how to belt from singing with Whitney Houston <laughs> records, <laughs> and I learned I had a lot of new skills, you know. And I got to sing. I became the singer with the top band in the United States for all the society parties. We we sang at the White House and we went to Venice and sang in Paris and all the society balls. Mm-hmm. So that was how I made my living. And it was great because it's it's actually something that doesn't exist anymore. But it was a band that had um, one singer doing all jazz standards. That was me. And the other singer doing all the pop stuff, and mm. uh, so live live band with the best players in New York, and we would travel around the world and do these do these concerts, and you could make a living at it. So I became really good at at um, making a living and being able to kind of change myself into that kind of performer, and I did that for a few years. And when I came to Germany, I began teaching at the Hans Eisler Hochschule für Musik. And it was called Tanz und Unterhaltungsmusik. So this was not jazz. Jazz was forbidden in East Germany, as you may know. And my students had, had had microphones in the rooms listening to every lesson. I mean, it was, it was deep East. 
so I entered into the school with um, a very strange environment and people who had been encouraged to make free jazz because that was allowed in East Germany. And they had done a lot of um, rock and pop, but they really didn't know anything about traditional jazz. There had been one teacher there named Ruth Holman, and she was called the Ella of the East. So she was teaching, at, at that time she was retiring, but she had been teaching them, you know, trying to get them to swing and <laughs> and do that kind of uh, misbehaving and, and how high the moon and traditional stuff. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing into my history, but um, that's where, where I started. So I, what I wanted to say is, yes, I learned how to sing and make a living at it. <laughs> but you really, it's really hard to do it in the rest of the world as an artist. In Germany, you can do it. You all get money easily. My students get grants to do their tours. They go on tour. They go with the Goethe Institute around the world. They have day a uh, day. They get to go and study for free. It's not like that in America. <laughs> so it's it's very luxurious over here. You can be an artist um, much easier, I think. At least maybe it's changing, but it was that way in the past. Ähm, ich würde tatsächlich noch gerne also einmal umschwingen ähm, zu, deinen, äh, zu deiner Sprache, zu deinen Silben ähm, bei Epistrophe. Das fand ich ganz spannend. Am Anfang bist du äh, sehr frei. Wenn, wenn du magst, können wir auch noch mal reinhören. Mhm. Ähm, scheint mir das sehr frei zu sein. Und nachher scheint es ein bisschen überlegter zu sein mit deiner Sprache, wie du damit umgehst. Ähm, vielleicht kannst du auch mal beim Hören überlegen, wie, wie das eigentlich war, also ob du da was festgelegt hattest oder ob das tatsächlich in dem Moment dann spontan gekommen ist. Oh, I, I don't have to, uh, I can tell you. Okay, no, I just, I made a free improv. Okay, es ist alles frei, also von vorne bis, bis hinten sozusagen. Until Dan enters and then I start the melody. The melody is But before that, I was just improvising over that little cell of that motif. So I was just and chromatically just taking a bit of, of Monk's intervallic shapes and playing with them. Und deine Silbenauswahl? Ist die auch spontan oder hast du dir das auch yes, überlegt? Yes, of course. No, that's all spontaneous. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, is, I, I don't think anybody could plan their syllables. I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess you could plan them. You could write them down and plan them. But it's not necessary unless you're singing in a choir. And then it's nice to have everybody singing the same syllables. But I, I like to um, let them come. Okay, aber mm, du hast schon ein, ein, ein festgelegtes Vokabular, beziehungsweise ein Vokabular, was du geübt hast, oder? Im Vorhinein? Uh, mm, I started with my teacher, Warren, and I said, what can I, what should I use for syllables? And since he was a sax player, he had no idea. <lacht> so he suggested as a method to limit down to the basic, the most basic, ah, and the two different ways of attacking a note. So one is with the tongue, da, and one is with the lips, va. So da, va, or da, ba. Those are basically, that's as simple as you can get. And you can You can work that until you can go very quickly with it. Da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba right? So that was how I did it. Then I added in each consonant. I was very methodical about it, and each vowel. And I started combining them because I didn't want to sound like anybody else. I wanted to find my own thing. And um, I, being a classically trained singer, I love pure vowel sounds and I find that that helps intonation. So I would be singing with a, a, e, o, u and those kind of were my sounds, you know. Later on, I became influenced by the great Betty Carter 
And of course, yeah, I, I learned solos by Betty, by Sarah Vaughn, by Ella, of course, many, many, by Mel Torme, by different singers who have their own syllabic choices. So Betty Carter introduced the la 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 la. Uh, Sarah was the shap badu bada badu. Ella didn't use sha at all, really. Um, Ella was blip booty up, you know, all the beboppy syllables. So just uh, experimenting with them and feeling which ones um, work in them, you know, practicing them, speeding them up, uh, helped me to find my own language. Liebe Judy, es gibt ja unzählige Jazzsinger mittlerweile, die auch improvisieren, aber wenige, die ausschließlich mit Improvisation ihr Geld verdienen. Also mir fällt jetzt spontan nur Bobby McFerrin ein. Dann haben wir sehr viele, die das mit einbinden, die das auch sehr gut können. Derzeit wie Diane Reeves oder Kurt Elling, ähm, der ja noch eine andere Komponente des nicht Sketten benutzt, sondern, wie war der Terminus nochmal, was er macht? Vocalese. Was ist der Unterschied dazwischen, zwischen Sketten und Vokalisen? Vocalese is when you write lyrics to a previously existing instrumental piece. And that was begun by Eddie Jefferson, carried on by John Hendricks. And in the modern world, people like Kurt Elling use that a lot. They will write lyrics to a Coltrane solo or Dexter Gordon and sing the whole solo or Wayne Shorter. So this is one thing. It's about the lyrics and singing a solo that someone else created. Scatting, on the other hand, is simply improvising with nonsense syllables, improvising without words. Okay, also ist im Grunde genommen das Vokalisen nicht improvisieren im engen Sinne. Genau. Was macht denn eine gute Improvisation aus für dich? Also wir hatten jetzt gerade schon äh, etwas anklingen, dass es äh, einen berührt. An Improvisation? Mhm. I mean, an Improvisation für dich, might, für dich might persönlich, not move you. Ja. But okay. yeah, it needs to be something that is beautiful, uh, shows melodic skill and, and gosh, what makes a great solo? Clear melodies, clear rhythm, uh, interest, not, not repeating yourself, you know, building interest. These are things that create interest in music are, as we all know, louder, higher, faster, right? That creates tension. Music, music has tension and release, and every solo should have that as well. So a scat solo should have... A beginning, a middle, and an end. It should have a climax. It should have variety. It should have reference to other musical ideas. It should have new ideas and exciting colors that maybe are tension notes that then resolve. And for me, you know, I'm, 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 I like Ella, but I, I'm not moved to tears by her scat solos. I moved to tears by somebody like Michael Brecker or, gosh, oh, there's so many people, modern people, you know, Chris Potter, Chris Potter, his solos. So that, you know, more contemporary jazz, um, where the music is going and how, how beautiful it can be. So that's what I like to hear. <laughs> Diane Reeves does great solos. I love her solos. They have, they build, they have a direction. They're, they're, they sound somehow emotional because she's connected the emotional part of the singing with the scat, which is very unusual. Singers often just go very intellectual and they forget, somehow they forget to connect it to the song they've just sung. Often that's, that's, it's just a skill that you get after doing it for a long time, I think. Dieses Verbinden der Sprache, sozusagen des harmonischen Kontext, des Verkopften mit der Emotion, mit der Botschaft des Liedes sozusagen. Genau, and, and with the body, with the body. <lacht> you know, it's, it's, it's a, when we're, our body is our instrument and if we're not feeling something, it's clear, it's clear to people. 
It's it's an interesting subject. Some one singer I really love is Becca Stevens. You know her singing, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's somebody who's called a jazz singer, right? But what makes it jazz, right? It has some improvisation, but actually most of her work is songs that are written, you know. And she's maybe improvising a bit with the uh, with her playing of so many instruments so beautifully. But it's not about scat, right? However, it's it's so it's so advanced harmonically that, and it has all these elements of jazz like interaction in the group. It has solos by different people over the forms, and uh, it's it's just fascinating how jazz is developing and vocal jazz. Yeah, vielen vielen Dank für das Gespräch, für das ausgiebige Gespräch und die Einblicke in deine Arbeit auch. Wir hören uns mal zum Schluss noch ein Stück von dir an und an alle Interessierten unten stehend finden sich eine Menge Links und PDF-Übungen zum Ausprobieren. Vielen Dank fürs Zuhören und Anklicken dieses Podcasts Musikalischer Dialog mit improvisierenden Jazzsängern von Jasmina Zack. In diesem Kapitel mit Judy Niemek. <lacht>